I would like to welcome everybody to Drisha's Winter's Mon um, and the first of a two-part series on How Much Do You Bench? Quantitative and Qualitative Perspectives on Birkat Hamazon by Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Zucker. Um, Rabbi Dr. Zucker teaches in the Dr. Beth Samuels High School program and the Drisha Summer Kolel, as well as other Drisha programs. A postdoctoral fellow in the Jewish studies at McGill University, he received his PhD in Ancient Judaism at Yale University and was a member of Yeshiva University's Kolel Elyon. Previously, he served as director of the Orthodox Union's Jewish Learning Initiative on campus at Yale University. Shlomo is an alumnus of Yeshiva Haaretzion and RIETS, as well as of the Wexner and Tikva Fellowships. He has lectured and taught widely across North America, as well as at Yale Divinity School, Yeshiva University, the Tikva Fund, and Benot Sinai. A founder of the Lair House, Shlomo serves on the editorial committee of tradition and has edited two books on contemporary Jewish thought. And without further ado, Rabbi Dr. Zucker. Um, okay, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, so it's a pleasure to be here learning with all of you. And um, I guess the goal, the goal for this learning, well, we'll talk about the content in a minute, but in terms of the format and style, the goal is to be relatively informal, meaning um, you know, we're, it's not a lecture, we're learning together. That's the, that's the goal. And um, so what that means is we're, we'll, you know, even though we're only meeting twice, we'll spend a couple minutes now uh, introducing uh, ourselves and each other uh, very quickly for those who are, who are open to that. And everyone, of course, as always, is encouraged to, uh, to join by video. Um, and it also means that we're, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll gauge this, how, 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 <clears throat> how well this works. But the plan is uh, to also spend some time in breakout rooms in, in Chavrutas for people to uh, study some of the texts inside before we discuss them together. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll, uh, we'll make sure everyone's on board with that. And there'll be, there'll be uh, maybe an option of, of uh, doing it uh, in, a, in a group with me if you prefer not a Chavruta. But uh, that's, that's our plan in terms of the, the style, in terms of content. So again, we're meeting today, we're meeting on Wednesday for an hour and a half each about uh, Birkat Hamazon, benching. How much do you bench? And uh, as, as in the title, both we're gonna be looking at both uh, qualitative and quantitative considerations, meaning uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna look at the, the nature and style uh, and reason for, for Birkat Hamazon. And we're also going to be thinking about, you know, how one qualifies for that. How much do you have to eat? What sort of things do you have to eat? Which I guess is somewhat more quantitative. We'll get into more details as we, as we go along. But before we, we get into all of that, uh, as I said, I, I'd, I'd love for us all to get to know each other a little bit better. I'm, I'm noticing uh, a handful of familiar faces, which is very nice. And also a bunch of new faces, which is, which is also nice. So um, I guess you heard about a little bit about me in the bio. Uh, I've been teaching at Drisha for a few years in different contexts. I'm doing a postdoc at McGill. Uh, uh, so I have both uh, academic training and also uh, uh, traditional yeshiva training. And um, I guess that's the, that's the short version. For me, I guess if, if we're gonna go around and I'll, I guess, call out names because it's sort of, uh, we don't have an official order. So I'll just call out names as we go around. If everyone can just share, um, you know, uh, a couple things about themselves, what, what they, uh, what they spend some of their time doing when they're not on uh, Drisha run classes. And um, also if this is the only Winters Bond class you're in, or if you're in other program in other classes, morning, evening, other afternoon classes, um, if you just mention that. Um, so we're just gonna go sort of clockwise on my screen. Um, and uh, I'm gonna call on people who, who I can see present. If you're not present then you wanna uh, uh, chime in, uh, put something in the chat and we'll, we'll get to you as well. Okay, we'll start with Sarah Cooper. 
Hi, I'm here in Berkeley. Um, I'm a Jewish educator working uh, in um, renewal and reform mostly settings, also kind of communal Jewish education settings like Hamakom, which used to be the Lair House. Great, uh, Nathan Young. Hello, I'm in West Hartford, Connecticut currently. Um, usually I'm a mashkiach in the greater Boston area and I'm signed up for the morning shear and afternoon shear and night here with Trisha. All right, you're, you're, in, uh, you're in it uh, for the full program. Great, um, Wendy. I'm Wendy, I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm a religious school teacher um, at two different conservative synagogues and I am signed up for another afternoon Drisha while I'm home quarantined. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, Diana Rose. Hi, I'm Diana Rose, you can call me D. Um, I work in tech and I heard about this program through the wonderful Sylvie Finn, who's also on here. Um, and I studied with her at my note earlier this year. I'm also signed up for other classes. Great, uh, Samson. Hi, I'm Samson. Um, I'm in Albany, New York right now. Um, usually I'm studying philosophy, politics, law at Binghamton University. And um, no, this is the only class I'm signed up for. Okay, uh, M. Lewis. Hi there, hopefully you can hear me with this. Um, so I'm Lewis, I, uh, I'm in Cambridge, Mass. right now. I'm here for um, all of the Drisha Wintersman. Um, so at Morning Seder, this week and next, um, this class and uh, in the next class. And uh, um, yeah, that's about it. Okay, great, thank you. John. <clears throat> I am uh, a senior at Binghamton, um, and I also signed up for the uh, the evening classes about scarcity and uh, the Palestine food distribution in Halakha in America. I'm butchering the title somehow, uh, but some of those words are included. Okay, great. Uh, Yitzchak or Rami, if you, if whatever you prefer to go by, and generally anyone, whatever you prefer to go by, uh, you know, feel free to put that in your. Uh, in your uh, name, yeah. Hi, I'm Rami, definitely Rami. I just use my legal name and also my email name. So that's why it always happens on Zoom at TikTok. Um, I'm currently learning at Yeshiva at Malay in Israel. Um, I graduated from Oberlin College last year, um, studied history, and um, I'm also taking the other afternoon classes because it aligns very nicely <clears throat> also with the quarantine I'm doing and also with Israeli time. Great, um, okay, Corinne. Oops. Okay. Uh, Hi, yeah, I'm Corinne from Mauritius, and I'm interested in Judaism as um, I've got Jewish friends and I've been studying on my own for a long time. Um, I'm French speaking, but I, I like to I check on board on any Jewish programs for my Jewish learning. That's it. Great. Okay. Um, we have... Uh... We have some international representation between, uh, yeah, Israel, Martinia. Great, um, Jason. Hi, I'm Jason. I am uh, an alumnus of Binghamton University, just like Samson and Herbert or John. 
Um, and, uh, and I, um, I recently got a teaching position in Newark, uh, in Newark, and I'm living in Hoboken, but right now we're on break. So I came back home to Long Island to my parents and that's basically it. Great. Okay. Susan. Hi, I'm Susan. I live in New Jersey also, Highland Park, New Jersey. Uh, I'm in for a penny and in for a pound here. Um, I spend time learning on tour and motion online also. I have found that despite all of the hardships of this lockdown, I've been learning a lot more Torah. And I have a child who's an alumna of Binghamton University. So there you go. Okay, wow, a lot of Binghamton representation here. Um, Margo. I'm Margo Friedman. I'm living in Sarasota, Florida and I'm a retired Schechter teacher. Very nice, right. I should say also a lot of teachers, which is, uh, which is nice. Um, uh, Sylvie. Hi, I'm in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm a PhD student at Tufts. I study biology. Um, and I think that's all I'm supposed to say. I'm excited. <laughs> Great. Um, okay, uh, Yehu uh, Yehudit. Hi, um, I'm Yehudit Sobo, and I'm actually in Florence, South Carolina, middle of nowhere, and I, um, I'm on vacation. I work for G Healthcare, so I took the opportunity to take this course. Unfortunately, starting next week, I can't, but I would love to join some of the courses that is offered like outside of the working hours. And I am very, very much eager to learn. And just one little thing about me, I grew up in, in a, communist, uh, a communist block in Hungary and I didn't have the opportunity to learn. And about two years ago, I don't know if it's a divine intervention or some inspiration I started, I taught myself Hebrew, I'm reading Hebrew and I have been taking a lot of the courses and classes on evening and weekends whenever I can with different organizations. Wonderful. Okay, great. Um, and I should just add in terms of, you know, this is not uh, just a quick plug. Uh, Drisha does offer courses year round, usually uh, some in early afternoon, some in the evening. So if people are interested, you can always check that out. Okay. Um, do we have anyone whose camera is not on who would like to introduce themselves? Or did I miss anyone? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. My name is Siva Subramanian. I'm from India. I'm not Jewish and uh, I've been uh, studying the Torah for the last uh, two years and uh, learning Kabbalah for the last one or two years. That's interesting about me. Thank you. Hey, wonderful. Thank you for joining us. So my name is Barbara Weiss. I'm from Montreal, Canada. So you know Montreal well if you've studied at McGill. So I'm, I'm theoretically at McGill, although I, I have yet to step foot given the pandemic. I'm, I'm virtually at McGill this year. Um, oh, but, so you're, uh, you're dealing with our winters right now then? Uh, from a distance. So it's okay. much more comfortable. So I'm studying, I'm Balchuva, and um, I never really had the opportunity to study. So now with the pandemic, I do a lot of studying with Chabad Westmount, with the shul in Bal Harbor, and now with you guys. Okay, wonderful. I see there's a couple people who uh, uh, Severin and Deanne, who both posted in the chat. So I don't know if they want to also uh, comment verbally, introduce themselves, or if not, they introduce themselves uh, by chatting. Um, so if either they or anyone else wants to jump in. Hi, I'm Roberta Schweitzer. I'm from Indiana, near Indianapolis. 
out in the middle of kind of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, I am finding a lot more learning too online now. And I'm really interested in this particular Dusha and I've signed it for a couple of others as well. Okay, great. Uh, anyone else? Shalom Rabbi Zucker. My name is Deanne and I'm in Gura studying for conversion with the best den in Detroit. I live north, near Cleveland, Ohio. And um, this is my first class with Drisha and my only one so far, but may not be the last one. Thank you for having it. Sure. All right, last call. Um, okay, well, thank you. Yeah, go for it. Oh, Irwin, I missed you. I missed Irwin. How could I miss Irwin? Sorry. I'm Achawon Khabib. <laughs> And uh, I do the first week, uh, the morning Seder and the afternoon Seder this, uh, this month. And Erwin, what country are you joining us from? I'm joining from Amsterdam, which is in the Netherlands, in Europe. And okay. I look forward uh, uh, to be oh, learning with you. From a Torah point of view. Um, okay, well, uh, thank you, Erwin. Apologies. and, and uh, a few of the people here were had a chance. To, I had a chance to learn with them over the uh, over the summer or in other contexts. So it's good to see the familiar faces again. Let, let's jump in to our content. Um, so we're we're going to be thinking about benching, Birkana Mazon, grace after meals, and I think um, I think the general concept is something we're we're probably all familiar with. But our goal is to get in, a bit more into the details of it, to get into a bit more depth uh, in understanding it. From a variety of perspectives, we're going to look at some at the biblical context. We're going to look at the the psukim where where it's you know this this commandment is discussed. We're going to look at some uh, uh, you know commentaries on on the biblical text. We're going to look at the uh, the Talmud and its interpretation, some other legal texts, and we're going to get into actually a fair amount of detail on on some of these questions because they'll reflect on on larger issues. Um, so we'll. Yeah, one of the one of the themes we're going to look at is the question of objective versus subjective in terms of um, you know the experience of eating, which is obviously a very powerful and important part of of human life, right? It's sort of one of the most essential things, one of the most basic things, and also one of the most heightened things. Food culture is something, at least you know, for some people, it can be something that we put a lot of energy into, and at the same time, eating is is the most basic thing. It's 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 simultaneously something that's animalistic. And something that's very cultured. Um, so uh, the question of of how God fits in, and you know that's what that's what benching Birkat uh, grace after meals, that's what that's all about, is going to be a really interesting one. So one of the questions we're going to be looking at is objective versus subjective experiences, um, and and we'll see that plays out in a few different ways, um, but both in terms of the need for why one has to uh, why one has to uh, has this obligation of of uh, benching. And in what scenarios in particular it comes up, what the broader goals are, um, we're going to see that that theme uh, play itself out. And um, you know, this is a question that that every legal system has to deal with generally, um, which is to what extent uh, to what extent there's um, you know hard and fast rules for what when to do something uh, versus things being more you know more flexible, more uh, determined by the individual. Um, so that those are some of the larger questions. It all sounds very theoretical and vague because that's uh, you know because we haven't gotten we haven't jumped in just yet. But let, let's jump in now. And I saw someone ask about translation. So unfortunately, there's no translation for this handout. I, I didn't know uh, exactly what uh, range of backgrounds people were going to have. Um, 
So um, uh, I guess for next time we'll do it, but why don't we, we'll, we'll I'll obviously make sure to translate everything as we, as we study it. So that, that will be the compromise. In some of these texts, it should be relatively easy to find, um, to find the translation. Like we're gonna be looking at a lot of sources from Dvarim, from Deuteronomy. So, you know, just Google Deuteronomy chapter number and you'll get a choice of 20 different translations, all of which are somewhat different from one another, but basically have the same point. So um, let's, let's jump in. I'm gonna share screen. All right, everyone should be seeing the shared screen now, hopefully. I'll make it a bit bigger for the, uh, make it easier on the eyes. And um, yeah, so this is, this is our handout. And uh, again, we're gonna start with some of the core sources, some of the uh, biblical and Talmudic and other uh, sort of uh, main sources about uh, Birkat Amazon, about benching. And, uh, and you know, they'll give us, that'll give us some of the broader picture that will accompany us over the next, uh, over this and next session. All right, so one thing, if you look in, in Dvarim, in the book of Deuteronomy, multiple times we find this, you know, it's, that's Moses' great oration to Israel, the speech, the final speech before entering the land of Israel. And uh, he, he gives a lot of warnings. This is what you should expect. This is what you should make sure to do. These are the laws you should keep uh, as, as he sort of retells the Torah in, in a couple of long speeches and, and commands Israel. So one theme that we find multiple times, and we're going to see them, is this theme of ve'achalta visavata. You eat and you're satiated. And it's a double-edged sword, as we're going to see. Um, but we're going to look now at a few different sources, a few different uh, passages in, in Dvarim, in Deuteronomy, that discuss this idea of eating and being satiated and what religious uh, obligations and dangers exist in that context. So let's jump right in. Source number one, when God brings you to the land, you'll get all these cities that you didn't build. This is referring to the idea that Israel will uh, sort of uh, come in, all the other nations will run away or be conquered, and you know, you'll know you sort of get to, Israel will sort of get to inherit all these uh, all these cities that they hadn't built. You'll, you'll inherit these houses full, filled with all the good things, um, uh, pits, which are for water that you didn't dig, uh, vineyards and olive uh, olive uh, uh, trees that you hadn't planted. This key phrase, you'll eat and you'll be satiated. And in this case, it's pretty clear the eating and the satiety is fully a function of God's blessing, right? God brings you into the land. God drives out all the other nations. And Israel, you can just come and you inherit these or you know, or you take over these houses that are ready-made and the food that's ready-made. We're gonna set aside the ethical issue of Israel driving out another nation and conquest. That's a whole other topic in itself. But um, from the perspective of the Israelites entering the land, right? They're saying you're about to enter the land. You're about to get all this good, all these good things. You're gonna eat and you're gonna be satiated. And the next the next words, it's a, there's a warning. Be careful. Be careful not to forget God who took you out of Egypt, the house of slavery. You should fear God. You should serve God. You should swear in God's name as opposed to in other uh, other divinities, right? You should swear in this, this God's name. Don't follow other gods. God is a jealous, a zealous God. God will... Uh, become very upset and will wipe you out. 
So what what's what's the uh, what happens when you get when you eat in your full here? What's the response? What's the what's the the risk? Complacency. You can easily take it for granted. Sorry. Yeah, no, both are the same thing. Complacency, taking it for granted. Right, complacency, you're taking it for granted. It's so easy. It's so easy, you forget about the source. And of course, that's deeply ironic, right? The the thing, the the fact that it's, it's so easy is what makes you forget. But of course, the fact that it's easy is, is all the more reason to remember God. So that's that's uh, one formulation of this of this theme here. Um, we can jump down. Actually, you know what? We'll jump. We'll look at numbers three and four first because number two is sort of the core source for our purposes. So we're gonna we're gonna end with that. But we'll quickly look at sources three and four. Source number three. Some some of you may recognize this uh, as uh, one of the paragraphs of the Shema. So God says, "If you listen to all my commandments, if you listen to my commandments, you follow my commandments, I'll give you rain in the proper time, um, and the, and all the all the plants will all the." Uh, the harvest will, will uh, you know, the, the plants will grow. You'll be able to harvest it. And then it says, I'll provide grass in your field for your animals. You'll eat and you'll be satiated, right? You'll have food. Your animals will have food. You'll, you'll, be, you'll eat and you'll be full. Again, that same phrase. And immediately after, right? Uh, be careful lest your heart be uh, be pulled. Be uh, uh, what's the good word for uh, pitui? Um, be uh, seduced. Good word for this. seduced. Seduced. There we go. Let, let, don't let your heart be seduced. You'll, you'll turn and uh, worship other gods. Don't let that happen. God will get very angry. So you have to make sure to remember the Torah. You have to teach your children, uh, and uh, and that will allow you to live a long life. So right here again, this this idea of you eat, you get you get uh, satiated and you forget God, you turn to idolatry. And right, the irony here, the, 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 the trajectory here is it starts off im you start off by, by following uh, the laws that God gave, right? And, and you get rewarded for that. And that reward itself runs the risk of, of leading, uh, leading to overconfidence and then forgetting about God. Similarly, slightly different context, but source number four here, um, this is more of a prediction of the future as opposed to, I guess it's similar, but it's more, it's, it's less hortatory and more predictive, um, more closer to a prophecy almost than a commandment. So, and this is again, one of Moses, this is really the, the final speech. When I take you to, and this is Moses sort of channeling God's voice. When I take you to the land that, um, that I promised to your forefathers, flowing with milk and honey, and you'll eat, and you'll be satiated, and you'll become, uh, you'll become uh, heavy, you'll become uh, uh, obese. You'll turn to other gods and serve them and curse me and violate my covenant. Okay, so there's, right, so there's uh, obviously a metaphor here. Right. What's the metaphor, or what's the what's the the image that's invoked here? Right. It's almost like an, it's 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 talking about people, but it's almost talking about them like animals. Right. You'll eat. You'll be full, and you won't just be full. You'll be you'll become heavy. You'll become lazy. You won't be able to. You'll you'll stop following the Torah. Right. There's a, there's a, yeah. I, I think it seems like it's almost talking about like uh, I don't know. You know, you have uh, you have 
you have, you know, you have cows, biblically, you have cows that are too skinny, you have cows that are too heavy. Neither of those are, are particularly good. You want to be the right, uh, the right sort of livestock. So here, if you, if you eat too much, you'll become, uh, you'll become, uh, you'll, you'll become lazy and you won't follow God anymore. You'll fall off the path, right? So again, it's, it's similar to what we saw before, but it almost takes it a step further in, in the, in the metaphor here, uh, that eating has to serve you know, the eating is a reward for following the Torah, and it has to, you have to be careful to make sure that it serves that purpose, rather than becoming, uh, rather than becoming counterproductive. And that's why the next, the next verse, when these bad things happen, because you don't follow the Torah, because you've eaten and become, uh, you know, you've, uh, you, you've become uh, uh, too heavy, and you become lazy. And, uh, and then, therefore, what you, what you have to do is you have this song. You turn to the song, you remember the Torah. There's a whole question what the song is. Is it referring to a particular song in the following verses here? Is it talking about the, the Torah as a whole, which is called the song? Whatever exactly it is, again, the same, the same basic idea that you eat and, you, uh, and you're full, and that's a huge risk, right? And uh, again, the, it's not here. In the other cases, it seemed like it was mostly complacency. Here, we have a clearer metaphor uh, of... of uh, you know, almost like biological, uh, a biological animal metaphor as to getting to laziness. So what's the solution to all of this, right? Other than just remembering the Torah generally, following the laws generally, Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy gives a very clear answer as to what the solution is to this uh, paradox or this, you know, this, uh, this trap you can fall into, right? Because again, it's, it's, uh, it's like a vicious cycle, right? On the one hand, you do good things, you get rewarded, you get food, and then you eat, and then you become complacent. So What's the, how do you break that cycle from good to bad? And that's where source number two comes in. Um, uh, yeah, again, this is another uh, speech of, of Moshe and I'll, I'll pause in a minute for questions. Um, but it says, It's a general exhortation. Follow the, the, the commandments of God. Go in God's ways. Fear God. God's bringing you to a good land. A land with rivers of water, uh, streams, and uh, depths coming out of the uh, valleys and the mountain. Meaning, there's a lot of there's a lot of water that the agriculture will be supported uh, from the natural setup. These are the key seven uh, seven key uh, natural you know natural uh, products of the land of Israel. The seven foods: uh, wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates. Uh, olive oil and honey, presumably date honey. Those are the seven, the, the seven uh, products of the land of Israel that make it so great, not just the water, but here's the produce. Uh, you won't barely eat bread. You'll, you'll eat well, but you won't lack anything. Also, you'll be able to, to, to mine precious, uh, precious minerals from the ground. So it's good all around, right? You have your water, you have your food, you have your uh, precious metals, right? It's the best, the best land. Ever, and this is what God's giving you if you follow the Torah. And now we have we get to where we are in our cycle. You eat and you're satiated. Of course, you're satiated. You have all the food you need, right? You're not barely eating bread. You have a ton of bread. You have these seven uh, crops that are, are so productive. You'll have whatever you want. And what we're expecting is, you know, that or uh, we're expecting here, you may forget God, you may become. Uh, you may become complacent. And no, we, instead we have a different path. You eat, you're satiated. You bless 
the Lord your God on the good land or for the good land that he gave you. And this is the primary source for the commandment of Birkat Amazon, of benching. Comes out of this verse. And uh, as we're seeing, the context is really important. And look at the next verse. Don't forget God. Be very careful not to forget God. But we know the key to that. The key solution, the key solution to the, to the challenge of overconfidence, of enjoying the land too much and having it too easy is this idea of blessing God for the good land that God gave you. So this is the, the biblical context of your kind of a zone is it's all about, uh, it's, it's all about preventing this descent into complacency, into laziness, into not following the Torah precisely out of abundance, right? There's different, different reasons why people might leave uh, observance. Uh, and this is the one that's very much emphasized in the Torah out of, you know, too much good, uh, what some call affluenza in a slightly different context, right? You have too much, it's too easy. And, uh, and then you can just drop religion. Of course, there's the opposite crisis. Things are too hard. You question, where is God in this? And, you know, I think that's something people have been thinking about in, in recent months in some of the challenges, but there's the opposite challenge as well. Uh, I think, you know, that I think maybe uh, most years, maybe not 2020, but most years, the, that's the larger challenge facing, uh, face, facing religious society. It's so easy that we have the worry, um, um, right? And when you look a few verses ahead, it says you'll get, you know, pento you'll get, you'll eat, you'll be full. You'll get houses, full houses, full of good things. You'll, you'll settle there. You'll get your animals will increase because of your bill. Your your money will increase. Your bet, everything you have will increase. Your heart will become high. You'll become haughty, and you'll forget the God who took you out of Egypt. So that's the that's the risk. Uh, that's the risk, and you know we can continue. We're not going to go into further detail. We've uh, ah we'll, we'll, one just one thing. Skip a couple of verses ahead. Yudzayin. There's this risk that you'll say, my strength, the strength of my hand, made for me all this, uh, all this produce, all this uh, uh, income, all this capital. It was my own doing. That's the great risk that you'll end up saying it's all on account of what you brought to the table. And the solution to that is this idea of blessing God, benching. So, I think the, you know, the biblical context, it's not just a one-off verse, although, of course, you know, when you want to bring a proof text, you cite that one line, but what it, it's, it's a key, it's really a, a hyperlink, in a sense, to all the other places where we have this idea of you eat, you're satiated, and there's this huge risk of throwing away uh, religion out of affluence, of forgetting about God, or maybe you know, turning to a different God, or whatever it is, becomes too easy, and that's precisely the place of Birkat Hamazon. All right, we'll pause, um, pause for a second now, um, if, if the computer lets me. There we go. Um, okay, I see a few people posted things in the chat. Um, yeah, uh, becoming, becoming fat, becoming heavy, that comes up in the um, where is that? Um, that is, yeah, that's source number four, Deuteronomy 31.20. Is that line? Any other questions or thoughts or reflections on the biblical context uh, that we've seen here? Okay, no questions. Well, That's, I, I guess, guess the one oh, quick question yeah. is, 
just from the biblical context, do you think that it's it's sort of envisioning just like generally speaking, you should bless God, or is it really envisioning after you eat a meal, every meal you should bless God, or is it more just saying bless God when you you know you have the chance or whatever stuff like that? Right. So certainly, uh, you know, certainly, and this is often the case. A, a straightforward reading of the biblical text, the pshat, um, has a less formalized view of things than the rabbis have. Right. One of the things that the rabbis do is they formalize biblical values in you know explicit laws, even when they're not explicit here. So here, if you just read the Pasuk in Pshat, you read the simple meeting, you'd, it would say, you would say, you know, you'll eat, you'll, you know, there's actually two different options. You might read it as saying, uh, you'll eat uh, and be satiated and you'll bless God. And it's not even a commandment at all, right? Just predicting you'll bless God and just be careful that you don't go off the rails, right? You could read it like that, or you could read it, you could eat and you're satiated. You should bless God, right? You could read it like that, but even if you read it like that in, in a straightforward biblical reading, it doesn't sound like it's a, a, an obligation in a formalized sense, right? It's like the expectation, like, of course, you should thank God for the good he gave you, but not that, you know, if you eat X amount of food, there's an obligation on you to say a, a set text, which is, which is how the rabbis are going to understand it, as we're going to see, right? But uh, I mean, that's, that's often the case that, that the straightforward reading, the pshat of the biblical text is less uh, formalized. But uh, I think uh, maybe you were getting at this. You also could read it as just predicting. Right, it's saying you'll eat, or you know, you'll eat and you'll be full and you'll thank God, and just be sure not to not to go off the rails. But I, I think it's pretty reasonable reading to say uh, that uh, that the blessing God is precisely what makes sure you don't fall off uh, from religious observance. Right, makes sense. Other other questions or thoughts? Okay, so let's jump back in and um, we'll look at some other core texts, some rabbinic core texts now um, that interpret this basic source. So source number five, Mechilta de Rabbi Ishmael. This is a uh, early third century CE source, a, a Medrash Halacha, early, early uh, rabbinic interpretation of these verses. And it says it as, fo as, as following, and this is as follows. And this is directly responds to what uh, Rami was asking. It formalizes the commandment here. It says, How do we know that one should make a blessing on food? You eat, you're full, and you should bless. This is the first blessing. So here, the way this text has it, we're going to see other, other texts have it different ways. We're not going to focus on this. But the way this text has it, this our verse is actually teaching the, the obligation of blessing before one eats food. Right, so uh, standard traditional Jewish practice, there's a where you, you say a bracha, you say a blessing prior to eating, and then you also have a blessing after. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, it's the first bracha. Of yes, yes, yes. I uh, uh, pardon, uh, pardon that. So yeah, it's, we're going to go through the four different blessings, the four different parts of Birkat Amazon of the grace after meals. Um, um, right. So zubracha, right. So we're gonna and we're gonna do it by by uh, extrapolating from the different words in the verse. We should bless. What does that mean? That's the first blessing. As we'll see, there's four blessings of Rikanamazon. Allah Aretz on the land, Zobrachashnia. That's the second blessing. Hatova, the good land. The word good, this good mountain and Lebanon, which is seen as referring to Jerusalem. Asher uh, Shegmalanu Koltov, who granted us things, who granted us all good. And as we'll see, I think uh, in, a, in a few minutes, um, the different blessings of Birkat Amazon, the different texts of the blessing of Birkat Amazon actually correlate 
to these different themes. The first one is more general, right? Uh, the first blessing, generally thanking God for food. The second blessing is focused on the land. The third blessing is focused on Jerusalem. And the final blessing is this idea of Gmalenu Kol Tov, which uh, granting good things uh, generally, um, we're going to see, is, is understood as about uh, Haruge Betar, that uh, after the massacre of Jews in the rebellion at Betar, they were able to get buried at some point later. Hold all those thoughts. The point is, we derive from this verse the four blessings of Rikadamazon. And Rami, getting back to what you said before, right, we go from a verse that sounds very general, you should bless God in some sense, and we get very specific. We go to these four specific blessings that are the part, you know, the core part of Rikadamazon uh, as we have it today. And it stems from this source and similar sources. He has a separate, he has, he has a different uh, proof text. So the, the verse sort of has two parts to it, right? It says you eat and you're full. And, uh, and then it says you bless God for the land that he gave you. So, uh, so there's two different things here. There's eating and being full on the one hand. And on the other hand, there's whatever God gave you. That's the contrast here. Whether it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. Whether you receive from God good or bad, you still have an obligation of uverachta, of blessing. So he wants to derive something else from this verse, that, that one has an obligation to bless God, whether it's on eating and being full, on something good, or whether it's asher whatever God does, even if it's a bad thing, even if it's the news of, of the death of a relative, which is a bad thing. There's still a, ble- a blessing to be said on that as well. Ainli elam, and we, we, didn't, uh, we didn't quite get there yet. We'll get there. Ainli elamazon shehuta'un acharav, uh, I only know about food that it requires a blessing afterwards, as we've been talking about. How do I know there's also a requirement for a blessing beforehand? As I jumped the gun before, right? The blessing before eating food of for bread, right? Thanking God for who, who brings bread out from the ground. Uh, so what's the source for that? It's an, it's a, uh, uh, it's an argument. Uh, it's an. It's a. Uh, what's it? A minor, a majority. Uh, a minority majoris argument. You argue a from the small to the big. A fortiori. A fortiori is another way of saying it in Latin. Um, it's a kavachomer. If you have to bless after you're already full, then definitely if you're hungry, you need to bless, right? Meaning if you're full, you don't need anything. So you're you're all done. You're 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 in good shape. You don't need a so even if, if even then you need a blessing then definitely if you're in a weaker position where you actually need something you're uh, you're starving you're hungry then you definitely should need a blessing in order to I guess unlock the food or something like that. Um, now there's there's a bit of a problem with the logic here. It makes certain assumptions, right? Precisely based on what we said before in studying the biblical text, the fact that you're full is precisely why you need the blessing, right? The worry of of uh, you uh, losing your faith. Whereas if you're hungry, there's maybe less worry about that. But fine. But the, the way Rabbi Shmuel's argument is going here is, is focusing on a different angle, right? It's almost focusing on whether you're coming from a position of strength or weakness. If you're coming at it from a position of strength, you need a bless. Then certainly if you're in a position of weakness, you would need a bless. Okay, I saw a couple of hands, uh, Jason, and I think someone else, someone else raised their hand maybe as well. Um, yeah. As I understand, I could be wrong. Um, I, the The... The consensus within uh, a rabbinic opinion, I believe, is that uh, biblically um, uh, you're required to bless afterwards, but the blessing beforehand is only rabbinic. I could be wrong about that. Does does this does this text kind of 
contradict that? Like this text seems to be suggesting that it, it is biblical to bless beforehand, no? Okay, great question. Yes, this text certainly implies that, right? If you have a biblical obligation to bless afterwards and you have an a fortiori argument that you should bless beforehand, that sounds like those are both biblical. You're also right that the standard consensus view is that blessings prior to food are only rabbinic, although not everyone agrees about that. Um, to answer this question, what we need to do is analyze this mechilta and how it's understood and how it's reinterpreted by the Bavli and some of the sources we're gonna see later. We're not gonna have that focus, but the, the consensus view is based on the Babylonian Talmud, the Bavli, and the Bavli has different has a different set of, of sources. It doesn't exactly get uh, use that Rabbi Ishmael teaching. Generally, the Bavli is more aligned with Rabbi Kiva than Rabbi Ishmael. Um, so it, there's a few different, you know, there's a few different arguments that the Bavli puts forward for Bracha Rishona. It seems like the main one that's accepted is understood as not being a biblical commandment. Uh, so on on a, I, I know this isn't strictly relevant, but which which Rishonim or Afronim uh, or Gaonim think that uh, um, that blessing beforehand is biblical? I'm not remembering which which uh, which commentator, but the Gemara has this line that talks about it compares uh, not saying a blessing before food to stealing, which actually may may draw itself from our source in some ways. Uh, the idea that uh, you know really the food belongs to God before the bracha, Lashem Aratzim Loah, and once you say the blessing, the food sort of becomes yours. So some people say, well, that just means that not saying a blessing is a form of of stealing, and that therefore it's biblically obligated. I don't. I think it's an achron, not a rishon, but I, I have seen that view that that uh, bracha rishona is daraisa. But uh, let's put that question on hold. It's an interesting one, but not not one we're gonna focus on. Um, any other questions? Okay, um, so let's jump back in. I thought I saw a second hand, but that's okay. Um, feel free to, to chime in if you do have questions or um, raise your hand or whatnot. Um, so let's jump back in. Now the Tosefta, source number six, also written around the same time or redacted around the same time as source number five, also Tanaitic material. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's gonna, it's gonna interpret the same words with a couple of added twists. So it says, Birkat Hazimun Minatora, this idea of not Birkat Amazon, but Birkat Hazimun, the blessing of, uh, what do you want to call it, of uh, Zimun is sort of introducing or organizing that this is the idea of, of uh, Mizumin or Zimun or however you call it, that prior to uh, there being uh, benching in a group that someone sort of introduces it and, uh, and, and invites everyone to bless God prior to the formal blessing of Birkat Amazon. So Birkat Zimun Minat Torah, this seems to imply that, that that's also a biblical commandment. Shedemar Ve'achata, um, uh, Yeah, uh, uh, there may be a couple of different ways of reading this, but um, it sounds here like the Zimun itself is biblical as well. Uh, our verse, that's the ba that, that basic verse is this idea of the introducing of the benching. That God, your, the Lord your God, that teaches the first blessing. Um, yeah. So, um, so right, that hey is Hashem, right? Hashem, even though we used it already, but fine. So the way, however it works out, it ends up with an extra extra uh, point that's derived, not just the four blessings, but also the introductory blessing before the blessing. The Birkat Azimun is also 
uh, seen as, as biblical here. Again, Jason, your question would be in order, right? It's not generally seen as biblical, but this is what the Tosefta seems to be saying here. Um, and now it says, There's also a commandment to bless before from a different verse, meaning even uh, from the time that he gave it to you. Um, and uh, going through different themes of your kind of zone, different texts, different points, and what is uh, what needs to be added. So you should mention the mountains of Israel, and you should mention the Torah and the commandments. That should be thrown in as well. A similar teaching to what we saw in the Mechilta, um, that whatever God gives you, you should bless God. Right. So what, what do we see from this verse? It's very interesting. It starts by talking about Birkat Amazon, the blessing on food, right? The blessing on uh, grace after meal. But, but then we expand from that, just that one blessing to four blessings, to four brachot, right? Each one with a different theme. We can talk about those themes in a minute. And then we expand even further to the fifth blessing, the blessing prior to the blessing, Birkat Zimun, introducing that. And we also hear, we also learn from here the source for the blessing before eating food and the blessing, uh, the, the blessing as well. I'm going to mute you, Yehudi, because I think it's uh, creating an echo. Um, and we also learn from here the, uh, the idea of blessing on bad things that happen. Because this is a rare biblical text that seems to prescribe a blessing as a, as a commandment. At least it could be understood that way. That's the way the rabbis understand it. Right? Where else do you see in the Torah it says one must bless in this case or something like that? Right? You don't have clear cases. This is the clearest verse that talks about a biblical obligation to bless. And therefore... We find in this pasuk, in this in, in this context, we find all these different uh, blessings that are commanded. Again, as Jason said, not all of them are uh, in the final analysis after going through all of rabbinic literature are understood to be biblically uh, commanded. But um, uh, but at least here, at least in these sources, it's expanded in a few different ways. And maybe we'll 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 take a few minutes in a bit and talk about the development of Birkan Amazon, the different blessings and how they sort of came about over time, as the Gemara describes it, uh, along, along those lines. Um, but I think what we saw in sources five and six is how the rabbis take this verse that talks about this blessing in general as a way of avoiding the challenges of affluenza. And it shows how, how, uh, how that expands to a whole variety of blessings. One ends up, ends up blessing God in multiple different ways uh, on account of, uh, of, of this verse. Um, okay, uh, Yehudi, uh, I think, uh, yeah, you're welcome to unmute and ask your question. And are you also planning to use these Bobby on Kate Summerbarkin, where the Bobby we'll get actually there. gets down and and makes it very clear that they can't find a biblical source for the ones you say before. In other words, this is yes. one of the very few places the Bobby ever gives up on a standard program of uh, finding a biblical source for everything that Mishnah says. Uh, this is this what time I was the Bible gives up, I know of no other place where the Bible actually gives up and says, we don't, we can't find the source, Savarahu, you know? So, I mean, I, that's the reason why most people don't think that Birchatananin are, you know, Minatara, because the Bible pretty much says that, you know, straight out. Yeah, so thank you, Yudi. That 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 is the Gemara I was referring to before with Jason. And as I said, we're not going to have time to do that 
source directly, but yes, that is the that is the source that seems to downgrade Birchsanen to a Durabanan. It's somewhat surprising because it could have just cited the Mechilta, which seems to have a Duraisa. That's Rabbi Shmuel, but maybe it didn't like Rabbi Shmuel's teaching. It preferred Rabbi Akiva teaching. Um, so that may be the story there. But we're not going to get into that. Um, it's it's a, a you know it's a bit less central to what we're doing. Um, and I would just just note that when you say that something's a svara, um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not biblical. So I think in this case, it, it's that's a bit of the question of is it really downgrading it because it gives a logical reason. Um, it says it's like stealing. Um, does that mean it's not biblical, or does that just mean it, there's no proof text, but it still is of biblical, uh, you know, significance or whatnot? So th there's there's a lot to discuss there, but I think that's a bit beyond our topic. Um, and we have a couple of other hands up. I think uh, Yael and then Sivan. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, if we translate the word mazon more broadly as sustenance, then it makes. Um, it, it fits in with the broadness of the Birkata Mazon. So if we don't just translate it as food, but all of the things that sustain us, then, then we, we, it, 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 um, the scope is fitting with the Birkata Mazon. So I think uh, that's, that's a very important. nice idea. Um, right, although right, the biblical text, the, the, the Torah doesn't say the word Mazon there, right? It says, right? The rabbis are the ones who introduced the word mazon. And as uh, maybe we may or may not get to this next time, they're very clear that mazon is, has a clear definition, meaning mazon means not just food, but food that sustains you. And there's a source um, that, that actually says that water and salt don't count as mazon. Why? They're not mazin. They don't sustain you in, in the literal sense. And of course, knowing what we know now about uh, calories and such, it's true, right? If all you consume is water and salt, you're going to uh, you'll 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 starve to death because there's no there's no caloric value. Um, so the the rabbis have they talk about mazon, but they also have a, a specific and fairly narrow definition of mazon. But it's I think your your framing of sustenance in a broader sense uh, does fit with what the rabbis are doing, although not through the word mazon per se. But interesting interesting point, Sivan. I I'm just wondering. I have some difficulty understanding the very word bless. Because uh, in our culture, the blessings flow from an elderly person to a younger person. Blessings flow from God to the human being. And um, uh, in, in Judaism, when, when you use uh, the word bless, uh, you actually bless the Almighty. And uh, uh, is there something lost in translation? Do you actually mean praise uh, or uh, 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 is it uh, something akin to thanksgiving? Uh, the word uh, bless, I'm still not able to understand. Okay, how that could, is a how, great how question. Ordinary, how, how could an ordinary person bless uh, uh, the all-powerful? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think um, first just uh, is something lost in translation? In this case, I mean, I don't know if something's lost in translation, but the same word in Hebrew, levarech, the same root is used for a superior blessing an inferior and for an inferior blessing a superior. So there's no, so, you know, and there's a cultural difference here, or, you know, uh, as you're saying, um, there's no, there's no problem with using the same term for an inferior to bless a superior as a superior to bless the inferior. It's the same, it's the same term. Presumably it's at least relatively uh, uh, similar, if not identical phenomena. How one accounts for that, what would it mean, right? There's a philosophical question. Once you, once you answer the linguistic question, then there's a philosophical or a theological question. What would it mean for someone to bless God? Doesn't God have everything? 
um, right? Uh, as the as the song goes, right? What can I give you, God? What can I ever offer you if God uh, controls everything? So um, I don't know if we're going to get to it today, but the Maharal, uh, maybe the Chinuch also, a couple of the sources we have later on the sheet answer that very question. They try to explain um, that, you know, the blessing here, people don't really have the capacity to help God in any true sense, but it's almost like the gesture of trying to uh, offer goodness to God or trying to render unto God uh, the goodnesses, the goodness that uh, that God has, has uh, given us. It's something like that. So it's a great question. We're going we're gonna to touch on some answers to it. We're probably not going to fully resolve it, um, but thank you very much for, uh, for asking that, Sivan. I saw John posted in the chat, given our emphasis on the benefit of the land, does anyone suggest these blessings wouldn't be said outside of Israel, namely in Galut and in the, in the uh, diaspora? Um, so no one says it in practice, although next time we'll talk maybe, uh, we'll talk about uh, Raviol Ben Nun's views on some things. One of his views, he, he seems to, he's, he's a little iffy on it, but he, he doesn't come out in full, he doesn't fully come out and say it shouldn't apply in the uh, diaspora. Um, but you know he wants to say it, even if he doesn't actually say it. But we'll, we'll hold off. We'll talk about Rav Yolbenu next time. Um, okay. Any any other questions, or should we jump back? Oh, don't our actions, words, and thoughts affect powers and powers and worlds? Okay, Deanne, thank you for that. And this is an important question, uh, and really a, a debate among among Jewish thinkers. So the question of uh, theurgy: Can human actions affect God in one way or another? Is a big debate. Basically, a debate between Kabbalists and rationalists. So the Kabbalists would say that our actions, words, and thoughts can affect powers and worlds. They can be, uh, you know, they can be misake in the olamos or whatever, however you, however you formulate it. They can fix the worlds, the, the heavenly worlds and other, other uh, worlds that exist, which are aspects of God. Um, the rationalist view is that no, it's impossible to affect God because God is perfect and non-physical and unchanging. And what could we ever do that would affect God or help God in any way? So that's a big dispute among among Jewish thinkers between rationalists and uh, and uh, Kabbalists, essentially. But great question. Um, uh, we can talk, yeah, and, and we can talk more offline about about that and who falls into which camp and which sources uh, you may have come across that that fall into one camp or the other. Okay. Um, any any final questions before we jump back in? I know this is such a rich discussion where we're lagging behind in the sources. This, such such happens. Uh, such can happen sometimes. Any any other questions or, or thoughts? Um, oh, okay. I, I wanted right to get across the idea that even though Barreh can have a human subject and it can have a divine subject, the word has a totally different meaning in these two situations, like lots of other verbs in Tanakh. When Hashem is Barreh, I know exactly what I want when I ask Hashem to Barreh me. I want health, I want wealth, I want long life, I want to have basically a trouble-free life. You know, that's what it always means when you, when a human being beseeches Hashem to bless them. But when a human being blesses Hashem or blesses another human being by way of Hashem, that means thanks. You know, it was the word toda, which is what we use today for thanks. That's not what it means in the Tanakh. Tanakh is just another word for to praise. Okay, if you want to say thank God in the Tanakh, you say Baruch Hashem, and indeed we do that still to this day. You know, if you want to say I had a baby, Baruch Hashem, that means thank God. Okay, so but Baruch is just a way of thanking Hashem for the food that He gave you. Plain, simple, nothing complicated. Okay, 
Thank you very much for your perspective, Yudi. That I think is one, one way of looking at it, meaning to say that you know the two terms are almost, uh, they're homonyms. They look the same, but they're actually totally different words. The words are, they're spelled the same, they're pronounced the same, um, but they mean totally different things. Uh, I th those, that, that sort of interpretation is often uh, philosophically driven, but harder to actually fit with the sources, because why would you use the same word to mean two totally different things? Um, so, but you know, it points to the tension. There's a real tension on, on a linguistic level. Steve, I'm getting back to your question before. On a linguistic level, they're the same word. You want them to mean as close as possible to the same thing. On a philosophical level, you have a real challenge because uh, what can it mean to bless God? So there's a tension and there's different ways of trying to resolve that. Um, but um, you know, I, I think I would be drawn more in the direction of, of emphasizing the, the fact that it's the same word and trying to figure out how its application might be different. All right. Let's, let's jump into the sources and, and move forward. Um, here we go. Let's bench. I mean, not, not literally, but let's, let's think about benching. Um, so, okay, so source number seven, the Meshachachma, has an interesting analysis of our psukim, of, our, of the biblical text that we saw at the beginning, in light of both the rabbinic sources, both the Chazals, and in light of, of some of the thoughts that we've shared. So it's worth taking a look at this. Um, he quotes some of these sources. Um, this uh, this a uh, fortiori argument that if you have to bless when you're full, you definitely have to bless when you're hungry. Um, fine. He quotes those Talmudic sources uh, which we've seen. If we, if we analyze that reward, the payment the, that God rewards one with, then it's a real, a good a fortiori argument. Um, if you say that, uh, right, he wants to explain the a fortiori argument slightly differently, right? Remember, recall what that is. We, we saw Rabbi Shemal said, if you have to bench, if you have to bless after eating when you're full, you certainly have to bless before eating when you're hungry. And uh, the Meshachachma wants to render the argument as follows. Blessing after you're eating, you're thanking God for physical things, for the fact that you had a chance to eat. That's if you bless after. Blessing before you eat is, um, is, uh, is for chay olam. Is that get, that's thanking God for sort of uh, everything, for the world to come, for you know, truer truer things, presumably because you're, uh, you know, it's not like you, you ate and you're enjoying, you're thanking God in a broader sense. Um, fine. But, right, but, you know, that would have been a nice argument. If that's not what's really going on. Really, this blessing, um, uh, this, this, uh, this blessing is not just on this. It's, um, sorry, it's, uh, right, it, it's coming from a different direction. The issue here is when you eat and you're full, then you are likely to rebel, as we saw in the biblical texts, right? So the whole the idea of being full, it's not that you're thanking God for physical things after eating, whereas you thank God for spiritual things other times. The point is, is rather that when you eat, that's precisely when you need to bless God because you would rebel, exactly the reading that we had of the biblical sources. When you eat and you're full, you should mention God's name and thanks. You should bless him. Remember that God is the one who gives you 
the power uh, to make fortune. Uh, and you get your food from God precisely uh, when, you get, when you get hungry. He quotes other verses that we saw before. This worry about becoming, uh, high, you know, your heart becoming high, becoming uh, haughty, and forgetting about God. You shouldn't harden your heart away from God and God's commandments. Right? The worry, the greatest worry is that you'll leave God when you're hungry, when you're full, not when you're hungry, as we as we pointed out. Um, fine, and he, he and right, we're not going to read the rest, but he says that Torah itself runs this risk of being either a sama chayim or a sama mavit, either a, a miracle drug or a poison drug. It can be good or bad, Torah, um, and uh, you can use it for the wrong things. And uh, this is an example of that, meaning you use you study Torah, you become wealthy, you become haughty, you've then uh, you know, perverted Torah, or diverted Torah away from its proper goal. Um, but if you properly thank God and appreciate your place, that will lead to proper fulfillment of the Torah and all good things. So I think the reason I cited the Meshachachma, I thought maybe if we were doing Chavruta, uh, it would be it would be a good a good conclusion or a good uh, tie-up of some of the biblical sources um, that emphasizing this idea that it's precisely when you're when you're uh, full that you're most likely to rebel when you most need to bench. Let's skip now source number seven and get to source nine and 10. These are gonna be Sefer Mitzvot, part uh, from both the Rambams and the Sefer Chinuch's delineation of the mitzvah of the Torah, talking about this mitzvah of, of benching. And we'll take a look at that. And that, this will give us a couple of other uh, helpful perspectives. So the Rambam writes, and the Rambam is always very short in his, you know, like really a, a one sentence or two sentence definition of a mitzvah, Yutet, the 19th positive commandment. We should bless him, bless God. May he be exalted. After every time we eat. He cites the Tosefta that we saw, um, that uh, you eat, you should bless God, and that's the commandment. So very, very straightforward, very basic. And the Ramam doesn't give us a deeper reason. Maybe it's obvious. Maybe the reason that the Ram is impl implicit is that uh, it's is that it's obvious. But the Sefer Achinuch, as is his way, builds on the Rambam and gives a broader perspective here uh, on what does it mean to bless God and what's the significance of that and why is that necessary. So, uh, source number ten. If uh, for those following, and again, trying to translate everything. So even if you're not following inside, you're also good. Um, so the, this, uh, his, his mitzvah is, uh, uh, okay, I guess before we jump in, Jason, you had a question? Yes. Um, is, is the Sefer HaChinuch necessarily agreeing with the Rambam? Because like they have different mitzvot, like it, it could be that the Sefer HaChinuch's reason doesn't jive with the Rambam, right? Like sure, that's I was just saying generally, yeah. generally okay. he follows the Rambam in terms of how to count with mitzvot and usually the main points are similar, but yeah, not always. That was just sort of a general throwaway comment. Okay. Sorry. Um, so, so he says, uh, um, uh, Diana Rose, if you can, maybe we'll wait until after the source, if possible, but I'll, I'll get to you. I'll get to you in a few minutes. I just don't want to, yeah. Um, don't want to get too, too caught up in questions. Okay. So he says, There's a commandment to bless God, maybe exalted after one eats, after a person eats and is full, you're full from eating bread. Or from the seven 
the seven species that are mentioned that we saw, right? Uh, wheat, barley, spelt, uh, no, wheat, barley, uh, 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 olives, and dates and figs, etc. That list, pomegranates of seven. Kishahu um, mayhem. Uh, when you are full, when you are satiated from them. And it's a bit more complicated because uh, you only say the full birkat amazon for, for bread or sometimes um, wheat or barley based things. Whereas for the fruits, you don't, uh, the way we rule, you don't do that. We'll get to that uh, on Wednesday. Usually bread means uh, things made from wheat and barley. There's subsets. There's really five different types of grain that are subsets of those two. Um, uh, wheat, barley, spelt, rye, and oats. But probably not actually oats, but that's a different discussion. Um, fine. The verse, that verse that we discussed, right? You eat your full, bless God for the land he gave you. And he's now, he now, we're going to skip the next few lines. We'll get to them on Wednesday, where he talks about what it means to be satiated. And he talks about how it's a subjective category, what it means to be satiated. And there are some objective factors as well. We're going to jump here to Mishar Sheha Mitzvah, the roots of the mitzvah, the roots of this commandment, some of the a deeper understanding of it. And hopefully, um, we'll get to some of Sivan's questions. So he says, Haktama Haloi Gantilach Bini. And uh, the Sefer Achinuch is, literally means the book of education. It's addressed by a father to a son. So he says, my son, uh, I told you already, my son. That's sort of the rhetorical device of the book. I already told you, my son. God has all the splendor and all the glory. All the good, all the wisdom. All, uh, all possibility, all uh, capability. All blessing. God already possesses all good and all blessing. What a person does, what can a person do that would be, that would, you know, make it more or less? God already maxed out on blessing. So what does it mean to bless God? This was Sivan's question. And of course, the basis of the question is that the same word is used. Blessing, right? To bless God, people bless God and God blesses people. And it's the same word. So what does it mean? So he's going to say it has to mean something at least slightly different. So he says, we need to figure out what exactly this is. What exactly is this blessing that we give to God uh, uh, after eating? Right? We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't waste our time benching, doing Mercado Mazon, blessing God without even realizing what it means to bless God, right? If, uh, if you're, uh, if you're a traditionally observant Jew, you bless God all the time, multiple times a day in prayers and after eating. What are you actually doing? So the Sefer HaChinuch says, we should figure out what we're actually doing. Probably a good idea. So he says, It's well known that God makes every existing thing exist. This is a Aristotelian philosophy that Maimonides directs uh, in, uh, in a Jewish vein, that you know, God is the, is, the prime, uh, is the prime mover, is the ultimate cause for everything that exists. God created uh, Adam, Adam, humanity and made him in charge, empowered over the whole land. People following God have the character traits of being, uh, of being merciful. God wants the, uh, God not only is merciful, God also wants the good of his creations. God wants people to be deserving of reward from God. That's part of God's perfection is that God wants humans to succeed, right? Think about it. If God didn't want humans to succeed, that would be a pretty 
perverted God, right? So part of what it means that God's perfect is that God wants humanity to succeed. Um, just lost the line. Uh, it's obvious to any thinking person that part of God's goodness is the willingness, is the interest in doing good to others. Okay. Once we've, once we've concluded that, we know that part of God's goodness is that God wants to give that goodness to us. When we bless God, what we're really doing, it's just mentioning this idea of blessing in order to stir our own souls with our own mouth. So it's just a rhetorical device. We, when we bless God, we can't actually render unto God any sort of blessing. What we're doing is we're reminding ourselves of the concept of blessing in order to spur ourselves to better action. Right? You're blessing God. You're saying, oh God, you should be blessed or you are blessed. God already contains all goodness. That's almost definitional to God, right? God is all good. Once we, we uh, stir up that, that goodness in our souls, once we remind ourselves that all good is included in God, and God has this power to give out his goodness to everyone. We are able, uh, we merit through this good action to draw God's blessing to us. Um, so you see what he did there, right? You see what the Sefer Achinuch did. It's really, uh, it's, a, it's a subversive interpretation. And maybe, maybe in some ways close to what uh, Yehudi was saying before. But it's basically what he says is blessing God. It means you're, you're talking, I mean, you are in some sense, you're blessing God and that you're saying, God, you should be blessed. But what you're actually doing is you're reminding yourself, you know, you say, bless God, God should be blessed. Okay, God's already maximally blessed. That's not going to do anything. What it does is it reminds the blesser of God's goodness and God's willingness to do good back to people if people just do the right thing and follow the Torah, right? So it's, in a sense, it's supposed to, you know, blessing God is supposed to stir a person to act better so that they themselves should be blessed. It's almost a, it's almost flipped on its head by the Chinuch here, right? Are people following this? It's a, it's a pretty... Uh, radical interpretive move. Um, God can't be blessed anymore, but uh, interestingly, he doesn't reinterpret the term to be blessed, right? Blessing still means to bless. It's just that it, there's sort of a, uh, you know, there's a null set here. You, you can't bless God, so it has to be, it has to refer to something else. Um, you know, you sort of, uh, you have to redirect it, uh, but it, it uh, still, he still translates blessing as blessing here. Um, fine. And then he spells out how whenever you bless God, you bless God in different contexts, right? You bless God as, as atoning, as a, as a forgiving people or as making people healthy or other things, which helps us internalize what we're asking from God and how we, what we should, you know, how we should act better in order to receive that. Um, fine. And we'll jump here to the next paragraph. Based on this root, this principle, what the rabbi said, this is a hard to understand line. God desires the prayers of the righteous. What on earth could that mean? Um, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that God actually wants the prayers of the righteous. That doesn't do anything for God. What it does is it helps the righteous realize 
what they need to do to, to be more righteous. So that's why God wants it, because it's actually good for them. God can now reward them uh, for improving in their ways. But the main point of prayer, of blessing God, is to improve oneself and to therefore deserve more blessing from God. Um, fine. Jump to the next paragraph. Gamha Ramban, Nachmanides, the great uh, medieval uh, commentator, philosopher, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Kabbalist. He did other stuff on the side too. Yachshov ota mitzvat asei b'fnei atzma. Father Ramban has his own mitzvah for this. Right, so the question here, this is this goes on the issue we mentioned before of expanding the broader context of blessing. What what blessings are biblically mandated? So certainly one, birkat hamazon, grace after meals. Um, we saw a couple of other possibilities, right? The four blessings there, all four of them. The idea of blessing on bad maybe maybe implied biblically. The birkat zimun, the pre uh, grace after meals blessing maybe indicated there, uh, the bracha rishona, the, the bracha before eating food. But here, the Ramban, and, and he's not alone, says there's another blessing that's biblically mandated, which is birkat ha-Torah, the blessing on studying Torah. Um, yeah, so um, fine. And he has this interesting idea. He says, why is it, according to the Ramban, there's two blessings. There's only two blessings that are biblically mandated, blessing after food and blessing before studying Torah. What's unusual about that? Does it include the Shema? Okay, that's a separate question, right? That's a Durabanan, fine. But just based on that, why is one before and one after? It should either be- Studying Torah is like a totally different category. Okay, but so that the Chinuch is sort of gonna say that. Let's take a look, right? But the question is, why is it that, that you say a blessing before studying Torah, but you say a blessing after eating food, at least in terms of the biblical commandment? So- well, I'm, um, I'm, so he's, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the source text for, um, for uh, eating is- Wait, can we just finish this? Okay. Jason, let's finish this, and then we'll, we have a couple of questions pending. Um, so fine, so the Ramban counts the mitzvah of Torah study as its own mitzvah. Why is it that you say a blessing before studying Torah, but after eating, it could be, the reason is, in terms of physical things, in terms of, of, um, uh, of fleshly things, um, uh, carnal things, you, the expectation is first you eat, you enjoy it, and then you, then you thank God. We're all humans, this is the Ramban, all humans have a, a, more, a more animalistic and a more spiritual part to us. So eating, that benefits the animalistic part. So that you only really feel when you have it in your stomach, right? You appreciate food most after you've eaten it. Studying Torah, that's the spiritual intellectual part of a person. The wisdom, one's wisdom, one's understanding knows and realizes uh, beforehand. You appreciate it even before you receive it because it's spiritual. It's not physical. Right, those who admit the truth will agree. That's how he concludes that this is the difference between the two. A fascinating idea, but I think it sheds light on both. Right, it sheds light on Birkat Mazon. Is really a physical. You're thanking God for the physical things. It's very much appreciation for the physical, as contrasted with Birkat uh, Torah, blessing on, on Torah study, which is spiritual and therefore can come first. Um, so a lot of interesting pieces here. Um, what does it mean to bless God? We're really reminding ourselves of God's blessedness 
and God's willingness to bless us and therefore reminding ourselves to keep the Torah, which of course fits back into the, you know, the biblical text well. It's a way of reminding ourselves to keep the Torah. It's more than, it's not like you're helping God by blessing God. You're really reminding yourself to keep the Torah. And then he threw in at the end here, this idea that um, it's a, it's a, Birkat HaMazon is a blessing on the physical, um, on, on physical things, um, and therefore it comes afterwards, whereas Birkat Torah is a blessing on spiritual things, therefore it comes before. Okay, we have a lineup, I think, of a few questions. I think we had uh, Diana Rose first. Yeah, so it ties in with what you were just saying. It was along the lines of there are certain blessings that we say um, before we get the benefit for it. And I was thinking of Havdalah in this case. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Besamim is said, and then you like smell, right? Whereas Ha'esh, you get the benefit from, and then you say the blessing. So it's reverse order. And so that was another one that I guess maybe ties in with what you were just saying about getting the warmth of the flame before, but I guess both are physical. So I still have a question on that. And then I have one more that is. Yeah, so I'll, I'll first respond to that and then okay. we'll, we'll give you a second one. So I think there it's a little trickier. I think what here, the Chinuch is talking about biblical uh, brachot. So then the only the only two biblical brachot, according to the Ramban that he's citing, are Birkat Mazon and Birkat HaTorah. Uh, the, the, the blessings you referred to of Ha'esh and uh, Bissamim, those are, those are rabbinic brachot. The reason why you do Esh is it's not clear. One is either, Ha'esh is either before or after. There's actually a dispute about that. The standard view is after. Um, but I think in, uh, yeah, those are, and it may or may not be a blessing of, of enjoyment. So Bissamim is you enjoy the smell. You say, you say, and then you, you, you know, you almost ask permission to enjoy the smell and then you do that. Aish, it's not clear. Is it about is it about enjoyment or is it about appreciation, which is not the same thing. That may affect whether it's before or after. But it gets a little more complicated. The main the main point is that what the chinuch is talking about is biblical brachot, and you, your examples were rabbinic, so the, the logic will work somewhat differently. What was your other question? Got it. And then how the the a for tiori? I'm gonna butcher that word. Yeah. But that couldn't that be used for Susan was laughing. She was my partner this morning and I can't say it. I've said it maybe 10 times. <laughs> um, but can't that be used for every blessing to imply that like, okay, if you're saying it before, then you could say it after. And if you're saying it after, you should say it before. Where do you draw the line? Um, well, the, the logic here was not that you can say it before or after. The logic here was that if you have an obligation to say a blessing after, you would also have an obligation to say before. Um, so, so that, I think there'd be a limit. You can only use that one once, right? Um, if it works, it's a little, a little tricky how it works, but I think that was, that was the logic there. But um, for smelling the spices, for example, oh, cause that's oh, okay. rabbinic, not biblical. Right. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So presumably again, this would, uh, similar to the answer I gave to the first question, this is limited to biblical mitzvot and rabbinic mitzvot work in different ways. The logic for, let's say a bracha before eating food or benefiting from a nice smell is different there the blessing is it's again like almost like asking permission to benefit from this world so that would only be before there'd be no logic to carry it over to after um you know what however you uh, would set up a kavakom or not it's, it's a it's a specific logic um okay i think we have sarah and we have jason in line after that okay so sarah so you're saying nathmanides says that the blessing before studying torah is biblically mandated yes what is the source for that his source, if I recall, is, uh, yeah, is ki shem Hashem ekra havu godel elokeinu. When I call the name of God, I give greatness to God. Why? What does that mean? That means you say a blessing before studying Torah. 
Um, that's, that's his interpretation of that verse in, in Hazin at the end of Deuteronomy. And um, a lot of people cite that and follow it. So, you know, everyone agrees that, that benching is a biblical blessing. And a lot of people agree, if you have a second biblical blessing, usually it's Birkata Torah. That's sort of the number, you know, some have, some don't, but that's sort of the, the, next, uh, the next most likely biblical bracha. Okay, um, thank Jason, you. Sure. My, my question is the same as Sarah's. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to spend too much time on that. It's a bit, it's a different topic, different sheer, but um, yeah, but it definitely comes in here uh, in a helpful way. Any, any other comments or thoughts? Yes, I have one. Um, I don't think you're making a distinction, which I think you have to make, between an Asher Kitchano blessing and a blessing which is not prefaced by that kind of an introduction. When you start in the morning with the bracha, it's Asher Kitchano Mesosa Vala Sok with Divrei Torah. Anytime you use that formula, it's Over La Asiatan. And furthermore, that formula comes right from the whole idea. Even in temple times, you'd say Asher Kitchano Mesosa Vitsivano Al Achila Tazabach or Al Achila Tapesach. So even in temple times, there was both a bracha before you ate food and there was a bracha after you ate food. But the bracha before you ate food, we still have. As I pointed out to, to Diana Rose, there's a difference between uh, biblical mitzvot and rabbinic mitzvot. And there's also, of course, there's other differences too, right? There's also a difference between birchot mitzvah and birchot anin and birchot shevachodayat. There's a lot of categories. We're not going to scope out all That's the categories, but but in terms of which... And ask, why do we say that before? All I share Kishanovas are said before. All right, so I guess you're gonna have to take this up with the I'm afraid the Chinuch did just compare them. So you know um, I don't know what the is thinking, but I think we can perfectly say that that can't possibly be a serious explanation for the problems that we're trying to Well, share. I think what one thing we might be able to do is expand the Chinuch's distinction um, to the distinction you're saying, meaning it might be a difference between all. Um, uh, all birkot hanenin that are recited afterwards, which is only benching, comparing that to all birkot mitzvah, which are which are birkot Torah plus all other birkot mitzvah. That distinction would work well and would be expandable. Um, but and I don't I don't think there's a problem there because the distinction that you're drawing is the same as his. Um, just uh, uh, you know, it's just broadened. I'm okay. just spelling it out. Sorry. I'm just spelling it out. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, okay, I. Um, okay, great. So let's jump back in. We have five more minutes. Um, we're not going to cover everything on this sheet. Let's see if there's, um, yeah, let's, the next source is some good stuff. So we're going to do it. And, um, you know, we're not going to get to everything. But the Ramban, Nachmanides again, this is Nachmanides himself not being cited. Um, right, he spells out, you eat, you're full, you bless. What, what's that about? Kitiz kor avodat mitzrayim ve'inui hamidbar. Why would you bless God after eating? Because you remember the earlier times. You remember the slavery in Egypt. You remember the suffering in the desert. When by contrast, you eat and you're full in the good land that God gave you, you bless God for the contrast, right? You know, you Israel, you know what it was like to be in Egypt, to be slaves, to be suffering through the desert. And you're, once you enter the land and, and, and uh, enjoy its fruits, You'll know how different it is there. You'll thank God. So the Ramban, this gets back a bit to um, 
to Rami's question before, the Ramban, at least in Pshatir, sounds like he's reading this as a prediction. It's not a, it's not even a, a mitzvah, right? The way in Pshat. It's, it's a prediction. When you enter the land, you'll appreciate everything you have and you'll, you'll thank God. That's the way he starts off. But then he says, Our rabbis accepted, they have a tradition that this is a positive command. You should bless God. And now he'll spell out an important theme. For the good land. This indicates that you should bless God anytime you're full. The land that God gives you um, for all eternity and that you enjoy its goods. And I think he's talking about the land of Israel, which is sort of Israel's the Jewish people's heritage in, in the future. Um, although Olamim doesn't mean that there always are, uh, you know, that the land of Israel was always under Jewish control because during the Ramban's time it was not. So again, responding to another question from before, um, um, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm wondering now, uh, there's a couple of different ways of reading this line, right? You could, you could read it as saying that you're thanking God, not just for the land of Israel, but for the land overall, right? That the God that the, or the land, uh, that God will give to you forever, meaning Olam Haba. Maybe you're thanking God like for existence itself, not just for the land of Israel. It could be the Ramban. There's a couple of ways of reading this, but maybe, uh, maybe the Ramban is, is saying that, which would, um, this would respond to John's question from before. Right, uh, that it's not just about the land of Israel, it's about the land in general. Although, as the Ramban himself pointed out at the beginning of the piece, Imshat, the straightforward reading of these psukim, sounds very much like it's talking about the land of Israel, right? The contrast between living in Egypt slash living in the desert on the one hand and living in Israel on the other, which is a very different, a uh, very different and much better phenomenon. Um, so that's an interesting contrast. Let's jump ahead a little bit just for two minutes. Um, talk about the blessings, the, 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 ble- the brachos of benching. Source number 15. This is the Gemara. 16 is a slightly expanded version, um, which we're not going to read for reasons of time. So source 15, Amr of Nachman, Moshe tikein Israel, birchat hazan, lahem man. Moshe established for Israel the bracha of hazan, the first bracha, hazan atakol, um, at the time that the man, the manna, came down from heaven. Right? So think about it. You're Israel, you're in the desert, there's no food. All of a sudden, God causes manna to come down from heaven that you can eat. At that time, they said the bracha hazan, hazan etakol. God feeds everyone, everything, right? God produces food, right? Why? It's focused on food. That's what manna is. Manna is food, and that's it. There's nothing more, no strings attached. That's the whole point of manna. Next, Yoshua tikein lahem berchat ha'aretz. aretz. Once they entered the land, Yoshua, Joshua established the bracha, the blessing of ala aretz velamazon, thanking God for the land and for food, right? It's not just food. Food is not detached. Food is, uh, I don't know if you want to call it embodied food. It, it's, it's, uh, it exists within a physical landscape. It exists on the earth, in the ground, and not just any ground or any land, the land of Israel, presumably. Joshua, right? Yeshua brought is, the Jewish people into the land of Israel. That's when there's a bracha on the land. Now, it's interesting. Two things change, right? The Jews in the desert ate manna. They go into the land of Israel. They eat food that grows from the land. So two things change there. Number one, the food they're eating is not from heaven, it's from the ground. And number two, the ground that they're on is not some place in the desert, but it's on in the land of Israel, right? The holy consecrated land of Israel. So you could, I mean, if you wanted to raise the question again that John raised before, is does Haaretz mean the land of Israel? Or does it just mean any land? You could really fit either reading with this source, right? Because we jumped from the mun, which didn't come from the ground, to food, which came not just from the ground, but from the ground of the land of Israel. 
So which is it? What's the difference maker? Is it land period or is it the land of Israel? You can really take that either way. And maybe the Ramban himself took it in multiple ways. Let's keep reading. David and Shlomo, Tiknu, Bonei Yerushalayim, right? David and Solomon, who uh, David conquered Jerusalem. Solomon built the temple. They, they established the blessing of Bonei Yerushalayim. The third blessing, uh, Bonei Yerushalayim or Bonei Barachamav Yerushalayim, Amen, right? Thank God for building uh, Jerusalem as a theme. What does that have to do with eating? Not so clear. David Tikain al Yisrael Amechav Yerushalayim Yirecha. He just mentioned Israel, your nation, and Jerusalem, your city. Shlomo Tikain al Abayin Hagadol Vakadosh, right? Because he built the temple, so he throws in the big house, the temple, the big and holy house, the temple. And then the fourth blessing, Atov Vamitiv, the last bracha after, uh, you know, the last uh, piece. Biyavne Tikinu Akneged Harugei Beitar. I mentioned this before. The people died in Beitar. They established a new blessing that they were able to be buried. Good that they weren't for several years. The bodies were left there, according to the story, and didn't rot. And Meitiv is that they had a chance. God also does good. They had a chance to be buried. So um, I think this is going to be the last source that we that we do. Oh, and I apologize. I wasn't screen sharing just now, but uh, those who followed, followed. Um, so the, uh, the the basic source here, it shows the development, right? According to the Gemara. The Gemara usually doesn't present things as having a historical development over time, but here it does. Different, different brachos, different blessings were added to Birkat Amazon over time, right? You had the original one in the desert with Moses, Joshua, David, and, and, uh, and Solomon, and then Hatov HaMetiv is Yavne. Yavne is, is uh, only, only uh, you know, decades before rabbinic literature was, was, uh, was uh, redacted. It was very recent for the rabbis. It was during when rabbis were alive, that's when the bracha of Hatov HaMetiv was established. So it's clear the bracha of Hatov HaMetiv is not of biblical uh, of biblical. Uh, uh, ordinance and presumably all except for the first blessing or not, but um, but what's interesting is I think what we see here is how how Birkat Hamazon works. Remember, it may be the only biblical commandment, Birkat Hamazon. And what ends up happening is you start with food because food is a basic human need. It's what it's eat. We eat. We need we need sustenance to live. But then you expand that. It's not just about the food you eat. It's about the land you live on, especially the land of Israel or maybe everywhere. And then you expand it from that. It's not just about that. It's also about your religious institutions. It's also about the temple and uh, Jerusalem. And you even expand it from that. It's also about uh, good things that God does, good, good experiences that we have in life generally. The appreciation for God in our lives expands from, you know, the most, I don't know, it's like, a, it's like an inverted Maslow hierarchy or something, right? You start with the food and then you add land. I don't know, not exactly shelter close enough. And then you have uh, fulfillment, spiritual needs, uh, at different levels, but you, it, it, what's what's fascinating is that this one verse, which may or may not actually command uh, command uh, uh, that one bless God or one thank God, at least literally, right in pshat, it may or may not actually mean that. Let's assume it means it, and then Chazal formalize that and and add on different pieces to it, different aspects of of uh, of life, both physical benefit and spiritual benefit from life are brought into this picture, are made a part of what. Uh, Birkat Amazon represents, and what all brachot, all blessings represent, right? Again, the idea of Birkat Torah is also, in some level, you know, can be seen as as comparable uh, to this. Uh, the idea of, of thanking God in life; these are a little bit we, we saw explored a little bit uh, over the last hour and a half. Some of the qualities of this, uh, uh, the qualitative aspects of Birkat Amazon. Um, and next time we'll we'll be able to pick up. We'll we'll do the the last page of the handout that we didn't get to today, as well as a few other pages. And we're going to discuss some of the quantitative aspects of, uh, of Birkat Amazon, who qualifies for it, under what circumstances, and how all of that plays out. Um, I'm happy to stick around for a few minutes now if there are more questions, but 
we're also a couple minutes over. So everyone is uh, uh, free to go as soon as Sarah makes uh, her, uh, her announcement. Great, thank you uh, Rabbi for this very interesting class. Thank you to everyone who joined us. Um, I do want to give a quick plug. Uh, the next class in our Winters Mon programming is tonight at 8 p.m. It's called Shrita and Kosher Meat Production by Rabbi Yadidia Greenberg. Um, you can find inf more information about that class and all of our wide Winters Mon programming um, on our website at www.drisha.org classes. So again, thank you to everyone for the opportunity to learn with you and I can't wait to see you soon. <laughs>